Great. It's great to have Martin with us. Come on, Martin, come up and share. And looking forward to being in God's Word today as we continue our series on Encountering Jesus. Thanks, Andy. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. So we are in the second week of uh, short Encounters with Jesus series. Um, fortnight ago, Ollie started with Jesus turning water into wine. So nice, happy days, encounter with Jesus, a nice one. Um, I've, I'm doing uh, Satan's encounter with Jesus and Satan's encounter with God. So from Matthew and from Job. Um, so no turning water into wine, but encounters with God nonetheless. Um, I just want to start by saying this. It's much better living in the world we live in, which is one where God is sovereign and there is suffering, than the alternative, which is living in a world where there's suffering and God's out of control. That would not be a world worth living in. Living in a world where God is sovereign and there's suffering is a world that is worth living in. And Diane, this morning, I only thought about saying that when, when I heard Diane. Um, Diane proved that God is worth worshipping this morning. Not because when she stood up and said, God has healed me and God has performed a miracle and therefore is worth worshipping. That's great. That's wonderful. But actually, effectively what Diane was saying was, yesterday God hadn't healed me, but he's worth worshipping anyway. And if he didn't heal me today, he's worth worshipping anyway. And if he doesn't heal me tomorrow, he's worth worshipping anyway. And living in that world where God is sovereign, and he is, and there's suffering, and his people are saying he's still worth worshipping, and I still will give him glory. And his glory is more important to me than my comfort, and more important to me than the ease of my life. That's a God that's worth worshipping, and those are the people that God is, is raising up to worship him. And that's kind of the whole point of what I'm saying. So I could just sit down now and we could sing. Um, but I just want to kind of flesh it out a bit because actually even saying, yes, God is sovereign and there is suffering immediately, that's, you know, it bumps up against, against itself. So I'm going to kind of try and show some of that in the next 15 minutes or so. So what we're doing today, going to have a quick look at Genesis and Job and Jesus. And I'm going to start with Mary Poppins. For good reason. So, on Tuesday, when we were putting this, uh, I was sitting with Sam putting the PowerPoint together for today, and I asked Sam to find a specific compilation of Mary Poppins that we could start with today. And Sam said, oh, I love Mary Poppins, it's my favourite film when I was four, watched it all the time. Blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, Sam, before you find this clip, tell me in your words, what does Mary Poppins mean to you? And <laughs> so Sam said... Well, she loves children, she's lots of fun, she speaks her mind, she goes on magical adventures, and he, for the next 10 minutes, was just waxing lyrical about Mary Poppins. <laughs> so, okay. And if you've seen Mary Poppins, probably you agree, I'd imagine. And I haven't, I've never seen Mary Poppins. I've never seen Mary Poppins. I haven't, honestly. I haven't. Hey, I was watching Star Wars while Sam was watching Mary Poppins. And Superman and things like that, Iron Man. Um, I haven't seen Mary Poppins, so I just have to take Sam at his word that that's who Mary Poppins is because he's seen it, right? Now, here's the clip, and this is all from Mary Poppins. So if you could get that clip ready, Rich. Here's Mary Poppins. Stay away, don't 
Now, I can't believe that my parents-in-law let Sam as a four-year-old watch that film, <laughs> but they did. But, right, and here's the thing. It's easy for us as Christians to just take bits out of the Bible, out of context, and just kind of go, well, the Bible says this, the end. And how do I reconcile this either tricky passage or it says this in Corinthians or Psalms or Proverbs. How do I reconcile that with what it says here? And just to take it out of context. And it's easy, very easy, in this world of TikTok atheism for people to have a 60 second video of the Bible says this, Christians, how do you explain that? And if someone comes at you with something out of the Psalms or something out of Proverbs or two verses that seem to conflict each other from Corinthians and say, explain that to me then, it can all be explained, but you have to explain it in the context of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, same as you have to explain Mary Poppins from the whole context of Mary Poppins and not just cherry pick, here's some things that I'm gonna attack God with or here's some things that I'm just gonna hold on to out of context because actually, as much as, and this really isn't a sales pitch for we really all should know our Bible as well, we really all should know our Bible as well. And actually from Genesis to Revelation, really understand and piece together, how do I reconcile that with that? How do I understand God's sovereignty in a world where there's suffering? How do I understand? I know that God is going to bring reconciliation and vindication and judgment. And I know he's not doing it today. And how do we do that? And, and learning what the word of God says about God is one of the vital things we've got in our lives that, that help us get to know God. It was John Calvin that's uh, actually, um, I've written loads of notes and I haven't even looked at them. Um, it was John Calvin that said, God's written two books. He's written the book of nature and he's written the book of scripture. And Paul kind of hints at that before Calvin said it, where Paul says, you know, we've all seen the earth. We've all seen creation. We've all seen God. We can all be held accountable as knowing God exists because, open your eyes and look, there's the book of creation and the book of scripture where we really get to know who actually is God. What's he actually like? And that's what I'm going to do in the next few minutes. I'm going to start with Genesis. So I'm going to start in Genesis chapter 3. You can put those verses up, please, Rich. And really what we want to see, or what, what my aim with this being our encounters with Jesus through the word, is actually very swiftly, but delving in a bit of depth under the surface of what do some of these things actually say about Jesus. And when we look at Job in a few minutes, okay, Job is suffering. What can we learn about Jesus through this? We start with Genesis chapter 3. So, Genesis chapter 3, this is just after mankind has sinned. Judgment is coming. Man has fallen. Um, death to men is about to, you know, it's arrived. You know, man has just divorced himself and herself from God, basically, at this point. It says, Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, curse to you above all livestock. And above all beasts of the field, on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it's really easy for us to kind of pick what we want that to say, and, and accurately pick what we want it to say, because it is saying, obviously, mankind has fallen, and there's, you know, bumping up between man and woman, and, you know, there's... Life is suddenly not going the way and not about to go the way that God intended it. But under the surface, actually, it's saying a lot of things that we don't tend to really think about or talk about. So the very first thing there, God turns his attention not to Adam and Eve, to curse Adam and Eve. The very first thing he turns his attention to is he says, the Lord God said to the serpent, who is Satan, we won't get into the theology of that, but it's, it's Satan, Revelation 12, and so on. Um, Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock. So he hasn't turned to Adam and Eve and said, curse to you. He's turned to Satan and said, because you've done this to my people, cursed are you. And that's the first cursing of God is actually, curse you, Satan, because you've done this to my people. And then the next thing, and we kind of pick the you know, pain in childbirth that's then addressed to Eve, which is true. I've been at the birth of three children, and it's true. Um, and we kind of focus on that. But actually, what's God actually saying to Eve? He's saying, you're going to have children. I promise you children. And yes, you have just divorced yourself from me, but I promise that you will have children, and there will be people, just as I said there would be. And then the third thing God does there is he curses the ground. Again, he doesn't turn to Adam and say, I curse you, Adam. He turns to Adam and says, I curse the ground that you work on. It's going to be tough work now, but I'm still going to provide for you. You're going to toil, and it's going to be painful because you've really messed this up and divorced yourself from relationship with me, but I'm still going to bless you. I'm going to give you children. I'm going to give you land to work on. I'm going to give you food. I'm going to give you shelter. God makes the first Sacrifice, a few verses later, where God sacrifices an animal and covers Adam and Eve, is absolutely full of mercy all the way through his judgment in this. And, and potentially most importantly, verse 15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heels. So Jesus is going to be born through Eve, the mother of all life, and Jesus is going to come into existence on the earth as a fully man and fully God. And actually, it's amazing that even amongst the divorcing of mankind from God, God is saying, I'm still going to fulfill my promises for you, and I'm going to do it through my son. And he's going to be born, Eve, through your family line, even though you've just divorced yourself from me. Jesus is going to be born through your family line, and he's going to be the one, actually, that defeats the serpent and defeats death. And it's just an amazing, amazingly rich and deep picture 
of the mercy of God amongst suffering. Suffering has just come to the earth. Death has just come to the earth. Human death has just come to the earth. But God is saying, even though you've just divorced yourself from me, and therefore it's going to hurt, I've already got a plan to how I'm going to heal you. It's amazing. Just the, the richness of the mercy of God. So, I did want to tackle, do want to tackle some of the tricky passages as well. Some of the more where when people look at some passages, and particularly, the, you know, I, I really enjoyed the kind of back and forth of, yeah, the kind of TikTok atheists of 60-second attack of Christians. I, I really like that challenge. And um, so I thought we'd look at some of Job today. And a particularly difficult couple of verses of Job. So, Rich, if you can stick the verse of the day thing up there. So is, is Alan here today? Is Alan Stevens here? I haven't seen Alan. Alan Stevens, I love Alan. Alan loves the verse of the day. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of Alan's verses of the day, and they're amazing. They're, they're amazing. And, and you read the verses of the day, and you go, that's great. I love that, because actually God, this is what God thinks of me, and it's amazing. This verse of the day from Job isn't the kind of verse of the day that we typically say, I'll stick that one on the fridge because I love it. So I thought we'd, we'd tackle it now. Right, so Rich, we can set this verse up. This is Job talking about God, okay? I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target, his archers surround me. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks upon me, breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. You can keep that up, Rich, please. And, you know, it's in the Bible. It's Job talking about God. It's someone suffering, talking about someone who's sovereign. Um, so let me just, you know, many of us will be aware of the um, book of Job and the story of Job. Let me just say this. In chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Job, that's where Satan goes to God and has his dialogue with God. And to give Satan his kind of correct title, he's the Satan. Definite article. The Satan. Which means the adversary, the opponent. Okay? So, the opponent, the adversary goes to God and says, God, Job is rich, he's successful, he's got land, he's got a happy family, he's got, he, you've blessed him with so much, that's why he worships you. And I bet you, Satan says to God, I bet you, God, that if you let me take that away from him, he'll curse you. And God says, he won't curse me, but let's prove it. And actually, how do we, how do we show that, how does anyone show that they can pass a test? You have to be tested to pass a test. How can Job prove, how can God prove that Job is not going to curse him? And how can Job prove that God is worth glorifying? Test him. Uh, it's, you know, it's not one of the easy books of the Bible, Job. But God says to Satan, okay, 
Test him. But only test him within these parameters. You can take away his family. You can take away his belongings. You can take away his livelihood. Don't touch him, because I'm sovereign and you do what I say. Not because God is vindictive, but because God is saying, I will prove that this man is blameless and upright, and I will prove he is a worshiper of me, and I will prove that my glory is more important to him than anything else in his life. And Satan says, okay, well, let's see then. So, if you know the book of Job, you know that Satan does take all those things away from Job. At the end of chapter one of Job, or as we read chapter one, you know, in chapters, at the end of chapter one of Job, Job says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he doesn't curse God. The first thing he does when he loses all his possessions, he worships God. He says, I'm going to worship God. Just as Diane yesterday, not healed yesterday, was saying, I'm going to worship God. I can't worship him how I want to. And I know he's sovereign and can heal me. But if he doesn't, I'm going to worship him anyway. And today she can stand and say, and today... Because God's sovereign, he's healed me. And now I can worship him how I want. And I can glorify him just like I did yesterday, but even easier. That's amazing. And in the next chapter of Job, again, God is sovereign. Satan goes to God and says, fine, he didn't fall down with all those things. Now let me attack his health. Now let me attack him. And maybe his possessions weren't as important as we thought, but let's attack him. And God says, in his sovereignty, you can attack him. Don't kill him. And again, and you know, these are tricky passages. <laughs> again, Satan works to within the parameters that God sets, because God's sovereign. And Satan attacks Job's health. And Job ends up feeling like that. Because... And this is important, actually. Job didn't know. We know, because we have the Bible. We know that God sovereignly put a ring of protection around Job. Job didn't know that at the time. These verses are meant to be in the Bible. They're not by accident. But at the time, Job wouldn't have known the dialogue between God and Satan. And Job wouldn't have known that actually God is sovereign and yes, he's allowing these things to happen, but he's allowing it to happen to prove his own sovereignty and to prove that he's worth worshipping and to prove his glory and to prove that when the accuser, the Satan, says, I want to test your people, that God says, you can test my people and they will prove to you that they worship me. And it's a massive truth and difficult truth. Um, I was talking to Julie Samuel here. No one who I'm mentioning is here today. Um, I was talking to Julie a couple of weeks ago. And you know, Julie is someone who's so inspirational because she struggles with her health in, in very difficult ways. Very, very difficult ways. I was chatting to Julie a couple of weeks ago. I said to her, you know, how are you? I, know that she, I knew that she'd been in hospital, and she's regularly in hospital. I knew she'd been in hospital that week, and I said to her, how are you? you know, how was hospital? And she was telling me how challenging it was. Um, and at one point she said to me, I do wish things could be just a bit easier than they are. 
but it's okay that they're not. And I'm going to worship God anyway. And I'm going to, you know, effectively, I'm going to bring him glory anyway, even if things don't get easier. And, and then she also said to me that actually, you know, she said that a lot of my most intimate times with God are when I'm struggling and suffering the most. And probably we can all relate to that. I know I can. You know, some of my most painful lessons, physical pain, mental pain, you know, all kinds of pain. Some of my most painful lessons I've learned have been where while they're happening, I'm kind of feeling like Job does there. I'm going, God, I don't know why you're letting any of this happen to me. And I really wish you wouldn't. And then it's only, obviously, afterwards that you can look back on each challenge and say, okay, actually, it was for my ultimate sanctification and benefit and my understanding of you and who I am and who you are that actually leads me to this place now. And actually, God, even if I felt like that during the time of testing, you're still worth worshiping. You're still worth glorifying, and that's what I'm going to do. And I, you know, for me, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever learned an easy lesson. I think every lesson I've learned has been the hard way. And a lot of the times, it hasn't been caused by God or Satan. Probably it's been caused by me. And I've had to learn things hard way. But sometimes, sometimes there are things in life, and let's let's not pretend, right? We do have an accuser. The accuser exists. Okay. Satan exists. He works to within the parameters that God allows him to work in. And God uses that for our sanctification and our glorification of him. But Satan exists and the accuser does exist. Um, Job also wouldn't have had Revelation chapter 12 where we can read in Revelation chapter 12 where the accuser of the brothers and sisters has been hurled down and defeated so Satan no longer stands in the presence of God like he did with Job saying, I just want to attack Job. But Satan does exist here and accuses you and says to you, Diane, I don't think you're going to worship God because he's allowed this to happen to you. And Diane says, I will worship God. And even if he doesn't heal me, I'll worship him anyway. And Julie says... I wish things were a bit easier, but even if they're not, I'm going to worship God anyway. And Marcellus, who's coming next week from Heathfield to preach next Sunday, many of you will be aware that Marcellus, is, Marcellus and Hannah's daughter, eight-year-old daughter, died suddenly a few months ago. And, you know, the, the lit, I mean, it's awful, and the literal story of the events unfolding, oh, they're just tear your heart out and I'm 100% certain that Marcellus has sat this year feeling just like that and when the accuser comes to Marcellus Marcellus even through tears and pain and suffering can say well my God is still worth worshipping you can accuse me all you like but God is good and God is sovereign and Satan, you have been held down and you will cease to exist. It's not today in terms of the earth we live in and on today, but there is a day coming because the victory has already been won 
Jesus has already won the victory. And again, Job would have been unaware of any of that. We can look back now and say, Jesus has won the victory. We look back post cross and resurrection and we can say, yes, I'm being accused. And yes, this is awful at times for Marcellus, awful. But I know my redeemer lives. I know that God is good. I know that God is worth worshiping. I know there's an accuser and I know God is sovereign. And I know that ultimately the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord and that's what I'm doing. And that's the kind of people that God is raising up. And those are the kind of people that you put your hands up today and said, I do actually need someone to stand with me because I'm suffering. And you might feel literally like that today or you might feel not like God is not like God is literally allowing it. You might not feel like that today, but you might be aware that there is an accuser and his ministry is to try and ruin your relationship with God and try and ruin your faith. And you might be anywhere along you know, the, the spectrum of this is tough to this is awful and I'm really suffering. And... It's amazing that this room is filled with people who are putting their hands up in the worship time and saying, I kind of feel like that, and I know God's worth worshipping, and I know he's sovereign, and I'm going to worship him. And to put your hand up and say, I'm going to worship God, because he's God, and I'm not God. I remember when I got to, first time I read Job, I got to chapter 38, I was like 19 or whatever it was, and I became a Christian. First time I read Job, I read it, it was like, oh, man, this book is just nuts. And I got to chapter 38 of Job, first time I read it. And I remember getting to it and seeing the heading, you know, God speaks to Job, and thinking, oh, good, finally. Finally, God's going to say, I love you, and everything's fine. And you read Job 38, and it's God speaks through the whirlwind, and God says to Job, who is it that darkens my door? Stand up and dress like a man and I will ask you some questions. Where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I put the stars into space? I remember reading that first time going, what? <laughs> like, what? And then you get to the end of it and Job's reaction is, you are God and I am not God and your wisdom is really so far above my wisdom and I'll keep my mouth shut and not question your wisdom because I can't even begin to understand it. And I know there are people sitting here today who are thinking, I can't begin to understand the wisdom of God. I can't. I think my encouragement would be, that's okay. Because Job felt like that. And in Lamentations, Jeremiah paraphrases Job feeling the same way. And in the book of James, James references Job and the prophets saying, when you're suffering and when you're being tested, remember the prophets, and actually being tested is part of life as a Christian. And being accused is part of life as a Christian. And if you feel like that today, it's okay. And God knows that you're sitting here and you're putting your hand up saying, actually, I would like someone to pray with me and I need to 
I need to feel like God is with me because I'm suffering. What an amazing glorification of God that you got up this morning and are sitting here now saying, I want to worship God. I'm going to get up, I'm going to go to Kings, and I'm going to worship God. And I might be feeling like that, but I'm going to worship God. It's an amazing testimony of your faith under attack, and you sitting here now, and actually looking around the room, I know there's loads of people suffering because I've spoken to you in the past few weeks, and I can see all across the room people that I know are suffering, and there's lots of people that I don't know are suffering, but you are. And here's a room of people that I've got the privilege of seeing from left to right, and I know a lot of you are really, really suffering, and I know because you're sitting here today, that you're saying, I'm going to worship God. And it's amazing. And it doesn't make life any easier. And it isn't going to make it any easier. But it's an incredible testimony to God's faithfulness to you that you're here. And actually, even under intense accusation from the accuser, that just like Job, and just like Jeremiah, and just like James says... You're sitting here today going, I'm going to worship God anyway. And it's amazing. Now, I'm just going to land with this. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. It's Jesus being tempted. Matthew, chapter 4, says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give to you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I'm just going to close for a couple of minutes by just bringing out a couple of things from this passage. You will get accused and tempted when you're at your weakest, just like Jesus does here. He hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. And that first verse, the first line, if you put those verses back up, Rich, please. The first verse where it says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That's, you know, that's a challenging verse as well. Who led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit did. Why? So that he could be tempted by the devil. And if Jesus was tested and tempted, well, so are we going to be. And actually, the fact that it says here, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, well, Satan will accuse you 
But the testing of your faith is not necessarily by Satan. Again, all, all these verses are challenging verses to work through, but they're all here. And Jesus, unlike Job, Job, unbeknownst to himself, had the protection of God. And he was hemmed in, and his own life was hemmed in by God. Jesus, conversely, well, Jesus didn't have that. Jesus knew he was on his way to the cross, and God was going to turn his face away from him, and was going to give him up to death. So where Job didn't know that he had God's protection, but he actually did, Jesus knew in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's saying, please, Father, if there's any way that you can take this away from me, please do, but not my will, but your will be done, knowing that I'm about to go to the cross and I know I'm about to take the sins of humankind on my shoulders, just as Genesis 3 had prophesied and promised, and Jesus is standing there going, this is about to happen to me, and I know I'm about to be given up to it, but that's what I'm going to do, because that's what the Father sent me to do, and that's what I agreed to do, and I am going to go to the cross, and I'm going to save mankind, and I am going to beat death, and I'm going to conquer sin, and I will hurl the devil down, and he will not exist, and he will not be able to accuse anybody, and I will make all this new. And Jesus headed into that knowing that was going to happen, but knowing he was going to have to face absolute separation from his father. So where Job didn't know he was being protected, Jesus knew he wasn't going to be. And he did it anyway. And he did it because in Genesis chapter 3, it was promised by God that he did, and it was promised by God that he would do it, even as mankind was divorcing themselves from God. And God's saying, I'm going to send my son, he's going to defeat death. It's amazing truths. It doesn't make suffering any easier physically. But the truth of it, and actually knowing that you and I sit here today as worshippers of God, even while we're being tested and tempted by the devil, and God doesn't tempt and God can't tempt, because God himself cannot tempt people to sin. When you're tempted, it's not by God. But even through testing and tempting, the fact that you and I are sitting here today going, I get things wrong, and sometimes my attitudes lead me to a place where I wish they weren't that, but they are. God, God already has won the victory and is saying, you know what? The fact that you're sitting here today choosing to glorify me, that's amazing. What a victory over the accuser that is, that you're sitting here today going, I might be on the edge, but I'm here. What a massive victory. And God will uphold you and he will end every tear, dry every tear, end every sadness and every sickness, and he will end suffering. And unless Jesus comes back today, which he might, it won't be today. He may come back today. Great if he does. <laughs> but until he comes back, we do live in this world of tension and balance where God is sovereign and there is suffering and therefore we choose, like Diane did yesterday before God touched her today, to say, I'm still worshiping you today, even though I don't know why this is happening. And where Julie is saying, I'm going to worship my God, 
And Marcellus is saying, I haven't got my daughter here anymore, but I'm still worshipping God because his name is worth blessing and he's worth worshipping. And the ultimate encounter here, in fact, the ultimate encounter here in this whole library of books, from Genesis to Revelation, there's encounters with Jesus, whether it's literal encounters with Jesus, whether it's promises of Jesus in the Old Testament, whether it's seeing that actually sometimes people... um, Oh, I was just thinking that was Job. When I pointed to that just now and said that was wrong, I, in my head, was thinking it was still the Job thing. Um, like in Job, where, where Job's reaction isn't necessarily... Actually, yeah, I, I said that reaction was wrong, didn't I? Forget. Hold on. Sam, delete that. If you can tear yourself away from Mary Poppins, delete that little section from the video. Even when, our, even when we get pushed to the limit, and maybe we do sit alone like Job going, why is God doing this to me? There is someone greater than Job and greater than Noah and greater than Daniel and greater than Jeremiah and greater than all the people who God saw as righteous and blameless. Someone greater than that who said, I know my father isn't going to protect me from this, but I'm doing it so that I can save them. And it's an amazing truth. So we stand together. Sally, do you want to come up in the band? So we stand together. And as we sing this next song, what it'd be good to do is, in part, to kind of revisit um, kind of where we've been all morning anyway. And I just want to kind of really open back up again, actually, the, the reality that actually this journey isn't an easy one. And one of the things Jesus promised was that it wouldn't be. But God is good and God is sovereign and God is worth worshipping. And even through suffering, God can prove himself worth worshipping. As we sing these words, blessed be your name. You may be standing here today in the good of blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me. And that's wonderful. Let's worship God if that's the case. Or you may be in the place where you're saying, actually, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. And that's going to be a choice and a sacrifice. And the obvious news for all of us is if you're in a place of the sun shining down on me, it might not be tomorrow. The road tomorrow might be marked with suffering. It might be. For Diane last September... I'm not suffering. October comes, now I am. And I'm still worshipping God. So every word of this is going to be worth singing with our whole hearts because if the sun's shining, praise God, the sun's shining. And if you're suffering, actually, praise God that you're suffering. Not praise God because of the suffering, praise God through the suffering. Knowing that it, it won't always be like this. And there's an eternity, and all this will be the blink of an eye. And there's an eternity with no suffering, and no pain, and no tears, and no accuser coming. And right here and right now, we stand here and say, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. And for me, blessed be his name. Let's worship.